And I want you to come with me, please, to Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, and Luke's Gospel, chapter 8. Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, and Luke's Gospel, chapter 8. So Mark 5, um, we'll just break into this story at verse 24. This is where you remember that Jairus came to Jesus to get his little daughter healed, and as they went, then they were interrupted along the way. So we'll read from verse 24. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for twelve years, and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. And immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? Most his disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Then in Luke 8, uh, reading the same story, uh, reading verse 43. Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years, who has spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any, came from behind and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her flow of blood stopped. Then Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press you, and you say, Who touched me? But Jesus said, Somebody touch me, for I perceive power going out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, Daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Amen. The story of the woman with the issue of blood is a remarkable account of one woman's faith in the face of of great adversity. Yet, it's one of tremendous victory. For this wee woman got a fantastic breakthrough from God. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all record the details for us. We only read two of them. And this week, as I've been in my devotions, I have been drawn towards this story again. And I have been looking at it through new eyes. And I believe it's a very encouraging. I, I was greatly encouraged 
by this woman's journey of faith. Just to see her sheer tenacity, her doggedness, her never say die attitude. So I want us again this morning to look at this remarkable woman and her remarkable faith in God. And as we look at this, I want to look at it, and excuse me if I alliterate a little this morning, I want to look at it in a few, from a few different angles and focus on her faith. First of all, I want to talk about the desperation of her faith. This woman's faith was forged in the fires of desperation. For 12 long, painful years, she lived with a debilitating illness that not only made her suffer physically, tremendously suffered physically, but also made her socially and spiritually at a great disadvantage and materially destitute. And so these were the 12 longest, darkest, most painful, hardest years of her entire life. In Mark chapter 5, it said that she suffered many things of many physicians. She had visited every doctor and every quack doctor there was in the whole region. Now, medicine in those days, of course, was not as scientific and as advanced as it is today. And in fact, according to the Talmud, the Talmud was a a great volume of writings uh, that the Pharisees particularly, and those who were in training to be rabbis, and even Orthodox Jews to this day, they looked to, to explain all the civic and the laws of God in the Old Testament and all the, uh, the rituals and all the laws regarding psychology and family life and everything. And many of these laws was oral, it was passed down, but then they were put into written form. And to read through all of those, there was many so-called cures to take for illnesses. And most of them were just herbal, horrible herbal concoctions and all kinds of strange, bizarre rituals to go through. And instead of actually getting you better, most of them literally made you worse. Uh, And this little woman obviously had tried all of these quack prescriptions and instead of getting better, she was just gradually getting worse, and it was only adding to her miserable condition that she was in. She suffered many things of many physicians, and all this obviously was costly because it said that she spent all that she had. Every last penny was gone. She was destitute, penniless. She was totally broke. She had nothing left. Now she is desperate, desperate. Have you ever been desperate? Have you ever tried everything there is to try and nothing has worked and you're desperate? You say, David, I'm beyond desperate. If it's possible to be beyond it, I'm beyond it. Well, this woman was desperate. But I believe in the fires of her desperation that faith was forged. When everything possible had been tried, And everything had failed. Faith began to be quickened 
in her heart. Socially, think for a moment. This woman is hemorrhaging. It is highly unpleasant. It's embarrassing. It's unhygienic. Socially, she couldn't go out much. Socially, no doubt she had few friends. She just couldn't be bothered, probably. She probably had enough of trying to mix and be part of. And, but with this illness, this hemorrhaging, it just, it just was too awkward, too difficult, too embarrassing, too much bother. And not only that, but spiritually, she was unclean according to Levitical law, which literally meant that she could not go to the temple. Even the synagogue would be off limits for her. I mean, church life had just ended. She couldn't go. She couldn't be around the people at the house of God. Because if she touched them, she was unclean. And then there was a whole process for, it would be touching a dead body. There was a whole process to go through if you touched something that was unclean. So you can imagine the stigma that this woman carried socially and physically and spiritually. It was just, it was just absolutely awful for her. She must have felt literally like a leper. Because this is how a leper would feel. They would be ostracized. And so I, I'm painting the picture here of her desperation. This is pretty bad, isn't it? I mean, this, this is a grim situation. It doesn't get much worse than this. She's really, really desperate. But only a miracle will do. Only divine intervention will work for this woman. Only a breakthrough from God is going to change her life. Constantly suffering, mentally and emotionally racked, spiritually, socially disenfranchised, impoverished materially. It's pretty bad, isn't it? But somehow in the midst of all of that, faith is sparked. Faith is forged. She's tried everything. But now, she's got her eye on God. So let's see now the determination of her faith. This woman was absolutely determined to get a breakthrough. Although by this time she must have been physically and emotionally and mentally drained. She must have been exhausted. Yet, somehow or other, she still managed to muster up determination. Somehow within her, she seemed to drag up some kind of determination. She was going to snatch victory from the very jaws of defeat itself. In spite of all of the setbacks and all of the holdups and all of the disappointments. And there was no pill and there was no potion. There was no bomb. There was no magic bullet. There was no consultant. There was no clinic. There was nothing. But her faith had become the determining factor. When all hope was gone, when all natural hope was gone. It says in Mark 5, 27, but 
when she heard about Jesus. Kenneth Woost, a great commentator, said, having heard of the things concerning Jesus. She wasn't the only one to hear about Jesus in those days. In John chapter 4, you don't need to turn to this, but in John chapter 4, 46 and 47, it says, So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. And when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. When he heard about the things concerning Jesus. And Luke chapter 7 verses 2 and 3. And a certain centurion servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. When he heard about Jesus, he sent the elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and to heal his servant. So this little woman heard about Jesus. Up to now... Probably it was her just her sheer doggedness, her never-say-die attitude. That's probably what kept her faith alive. She just would not quit. She would not give up. But now she has heard about, excuse me, about Jesus. And now her faith is beginning to grow. Something is stirring inside of her. Now she's standing up on the inside and her faith is now growing. No medicine can cure her. No pill could pacify. No doctor could deal with her. But now she's got an appointment with a great physician. Now Dr. Jesus is coming to town. And what she has heard about him has absolutely convinced her that she was going to get a breakthrough. But she makes her way towards the master, doesn't she? Every yard must have seemed like a mile. Imagine in her condition, it must have been very difficult. It's her determination of faith that's keeping her going now. She's gone beyond desperate, now she's determined. She was desperate, and that's where it started. But now she's moving to determination now. Now she's got some hope now. Now she's heard about Christ. Now she's fully persuaded. Every single ounce of faith she has got, she is pushing her way towards Jesus. She's absolutely convinced that she's going to get a breakthrough from God. Consider for a moment with me the obstacles that she had to overcome to get to Jesus. Sometimes our greatest battle is just before our greatest breakthrough. I know it's a cliche to say the darkest night's just before the dawn. But sometimes that is literally true. Sometimes the, just before you get your breakthrough, it's the hardest, most difficult period, pushing and striving and doing everything you can. Remember Jacob who wrestled all night with the angel until the day broke? That was some wrestling match, wasn't it? Imagine wrestling with the angel. And he would not let go. And he must have been exhausted. 
But he was just hanging on. He would not, I will not let you go until you bless me. And the angel had to touch him in the hollow of his thigh before he would let go. But he was fully determined, wasn't he, to get a blessing before he got a breakthrough. He had to wrestle all night. Do you remember Mary and Martha? Whenever Lazarus was sick and they sent for Jesus and he was just literally just a little way down the road, it would have been so easy for him to come. I mean, in just a few hours he'd have been there. And they said, You're Lazarus, our brother, your friend, he's dying. Will you come and heal him? Fully expecting Jesus to come. I mean, this is his dear friend. This is the one that he sat at the table with. This is the home that he loved to go to above all the houses in the land. This is the one he felt most comfortable in. And he doesn't go. Now, could you imagine in that waiting period how despondent those two sisters must have been? And how confused and maybe how angry. I, I think there were all of those things that were despairing and they were despondent and they were confused and they were angry and all that emotional stuff was going on. They could not understand for the life of them why the master wouldn't come. Surely he loves us. Surely he loves our brother. Why won't he come? You did tell him, didn't you? Yeah, I told him. But why isn't he here? I don't know. That was a dark time in their lives, wasn't it? But Jesus had a purpose in that, didn't he? And so sometimes just before the breakthrough is the greatest battle. And this woman had some things she had to overcome. She must have been very weak in body. I mean, her blood pressure must have been through the floor. No blood transfusions in those days. Her iron... She must have had hardly any iron left in her body. Now, I'm not a doctor, but there's two sitting here in the front row this morning. And I'm sure if a patient came to you and they were anemic and their blood pressure was low and they had no iron in their body, I mean, that's not good, is it, Dr. Chi? That's not good. And they would be pretty weak. Energy levels would be dropped dramatically. But in spite of that, she had to fight her way through the throng, the multitude. That's the second thing she had to do. Have you ever been in a throng? Have you ever been in a multitude? Very uncomfortable. Sally and I, some years ago, we stopped over in, in, in Hong Kong in a stopover land the Philippines. And we, we decided we would go in the ferry over to the island and... <laughs> Of course, foolishly, we decided to go at the commuter time because we were just tourists. We didn't know, you know, we never think. You only get two nights there, so let's do it. So we went along, and it was commuter time, people going home. And we were just absolutely swept. I remember it was an underground place, and you looked around, and there was just hordes of people, hordes of them, sweeping us along. We're just hoping and praying we're in the right line here that we get to the right queue because I mean, there's just nothing you could do. And it was, it was claustrophobic. It was suffocating. It was just shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder stuff, you know what I mean? And I remember also we were in, in time we were, uh, this was in Hong Kong too, remember we went up the, up the 
up the peak, and you go up on these these kind of big cable car things, you know, and they're, they hold about 12, but there must have been 40 in it. And you just, they're just cramming you into that place. And I remember this Buddhist monk was standing, and he's literally, his face was just, I could smell the garlic off him, and his face was right up against my face. <sighs> you never, ever want to be one of those with a garlic eater just right in your face, like, you know. And it was just uncomfortable. And that, that's what it must have been like for this wee woman. She was in this throng. They were pressing. And it gets dangerous. I mean, all you need to do is trip and people's just trampling all over you. And she's weak in her body. She's all this stuff. And then to crown it, she's taking a great risk here because what if somebody recognizes her? What if somebody in that vast crowd, maybe a neighbor or a relative or somebody, hey, there's the woman with the issue of blood. She's unclean. How many people would just scatter from around her? That'd be so embarrassing. It'd be humiliating. In fact, they would tell her to go. And she had to risk all of that. But you see, she was determined. And in spite of all of that, her determination of faith got her to Christ. It got her right to where Jesus was. Then look at her declaration of faith. In Matthew 9, which we didn't read, it said, For she said to herself. I believe the authorized version says she said within herself. If only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. In Luke 8.44 says she came from behind and touched the border of his garment. She said to herself, this was a declaration of her faith. This was not just thinking positively. And it's good to think positively. Nothing wrong with that. But it was not just that. It was not just feeling a little bit upbeat it wasn't even just hope, although hope had arisen too. This was faith. This was a declaration of her faith. But listen, what was her faith built upon? What was this declaration of faith built upon? Because this is more than just thinking positively here. And it's good to think positively, we can all do that. But this is much more than that. It was based on two things. And one is very obvious. We already mentioned it. It was based, first of all, on what she had heard about Christ. She had heard testimonies. Maybe she met somebody along the way. Maybe she personally talked to somebody. He got a miracle. Nothing encourages you more and lifts your faith level than hearing somebody with a great testimony of a mighty breakthrough. Isn't it? Not true. To hear somebody saying, this is where I was. This is what God has done for me. This is where I am now. And there's such a difference. It's undeniable. And you have to say, that was a miracle from God. 
and suddenly you're encouraged and your faith begins to rise and you begin to say to yourself, well, if God could do that for him or her, God could do that for me. And in that moment, your faith begins to rise. How many times have you heard a testimony and you've listened and you felt greatly encouraged and your faith began to rise and you went back to the Word of God again and you looked at the Scriptures again and your faith began to get stoked? Well, this woman's faith was based upon two things. What she heard about Christ and what she knew about the Word of God. Now listen to this very carefully. It was not by accident that she said, and Luke records it, if I may touch the border or the hem of his garment, I shall be made well. Now she was very specific. She wasn't just trying to reach out and touch any part of his garments. She knew what she was doing. She was very precise. Did you notice how Jesus said, who touched my clothes? This woman was very, very exact and precise. You see, in those days and in a fashion today, there was a garment worn and, and certainly Jesus would have been wearing one of these. It's called a zit zit. And a zit-zit was a rectangular piece of cloth with a hole to put the head through. There's a part come down the front and a part come down the back. And there's a little fringe around it. And there was four tassels, one in each corner. And each tassel was interwoven with a cord of blue. And according to the book of Numbers, the zit-zit, or the, the modern equivalent today is the talith, it's like a prayer shawl. You'll, you'll see Orthodox Jews would wear this and it would have a fringe and it would have tassels on it. And the reason for this was a reminder of the law of God. When they wore this for prayer or just in their daily walking about, it was to remind them to be obedient to the word of God. And some say that the blue cord on the fringe or the tassel was standing for divinity. Some say royalty. You could say either or both if you want. We're not exactly sure. But what we do know is that these cloths that they wore around them, these shawls that the men wore especially, had, well, these fringes was to remind them of the Word of God. In fact, in Numbers chapter 15, if I may just take one moment and just read this to you to show you where it is in Scripture. In verse 37, just at the end of chapter 15 of Numbers, again the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel. Tell them to make tassels on the corner of their garments throughout their generations and to put a blue thread in the tassels of the corners. And you shall have the tassel that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them that you may not allow the harlotry to which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined and that you may remember to do all my commandments and be holy for I am the Lord your God. 
I brought you out of Egypt. And it goes on. So this was a, a reminder, if I can broaden that a little bit, a reminder of the Word of God, the law of God, and that they were to be obedient to it in all circumstances. So when this little woman looked at this garment and she looked at this tassel, I believe that she was looking to the Word of God, to the law of God. And perhaps, doesn't say, but perhaps she maybe reminded herself of a promise from the law of God. And maybe she took a promise from the Word of God, like Psalm 103, verse 3, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. Or maybe Exodus 15, 26, I am the Lord who heals you, Jehovah Rapha. So perhaps she got a promise from God's Word, and she made her way towards Jesus and she knew, if I can just touch a tassel, if I can just touch a tassel, something's going to happen. I'm claiming a promise of God. I'm claiming the Word of God in my life. And if I can just touch a tassel, I shall be made well. Amen. I believe that's what she was doing. And what a breakthrough she got. Here's the demonstration of her faith. Mark 5, 27. When she heard of Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. Now, I want you to notice something else here. This woman's faith was not showy or shouty. Now, there's nothing wrong with being showy or shouty if there's a good reason for it. Bartimaeus was loud, wasn't he? He was shouty, wasn't he? When the crowd came past and he heard Jesus in the midst, he shouted, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy upon me. And the crowd says, shut up. You're not a dirty old beggar. And he shouted all the more, the Bible says. And Jesus heard him. They stopped the crowd. Do you remember the man at the beautiful gate in the book of Acts? Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And what did he do? He didn't just walk. He danced, didn't he? That's pretty showy, isn't it? I mean, he danced a jig right there and down the street, didn't he? Well, you say, well, if I was lying crippled and God healed me, I'd dance a jig too. Absolutely. Why wouldn't you? even though it's showy. But you see, showy and shouty can be okay as long as there's a reason for it. But this woman was neither showy or shouty. All she wanted to do was just touch the hem of his garment, get her healing, and then just quietly just slip away. That's all she wanted. No fanfares, nothing special, nobody to say anything, nobody even to lay hands or pray for it, nothing. If I can just touch, it's all I need. And I'll just quietly slip away. See, you may be a quiet, non-shouty, non-showy person. And you may look at others, and they're very demonstrative, and very excitable, and very dynamic, and very, very, very whatever. You say, well, that's just not me. It doesn't matter. It's your faith. 
It's not whether you're showy or shoddy. It's your faith. And that's a good lesson from this little woman, isn't it? All she wanted to do was touch, get healed, and slip away. <laughs> Jesus didn't let her off of it, by the way, but we'll come to that in a moment. Her determination of faith, her desperation of faith, her demonstration of faith, it was quiet, inconspicuous, unobtrusive, yet it was mighty effective. It got the job done, didn't it? There's different ways to touch the master, isn't there? Then the discovery of her faith. The discovery of her faith. Notice that Jesus said, Who touched me? Somebody touched me. You know, if Jesus hadn't have said those words, we'd never have been reading this story today. We never would have had our faith encouraged. But here's the point. Jesus immediately within himself knew that somebody touched him. And I'm glad that he stopped and said, who touched me? Now remember, Jesus as God is omniscient. He's all seeing. He's all knowing. He even knew the very thoughts and intents of men's hearts. He knew exactly who touched him. But he's wanting to elicit something from this wee woman. You remember God in the Garden of Eden, whenever Adam and Eve, whenever they sinned and they ran and hid themselves from the presence of the Lord? Remember what God said when he came into the garden? Adam, where are you? You think God didn't know where he was? Come on. He's God, isn't he? He knows everything. He wasn't just saying, where are you, so as I can find you. Where are you? Come on, speak to me. What's happened here? Come on, tell me about it. That's what he was doing. And there's lots of instances in the Bible where God asks the question, but it's a rhetorical question. He really knows the answer, but he wants some comeback from the person he's asking the question to. Remember Cain and Abel? How it when Cain slew Abel? God comes to him and said, where's your brother? <laughs> As if God didn't know. Where's your brother? What did Abel say? How do I know? Am I my brother's keeper? They expect me to, but my brother, I know nothing about him. Of course, he was lying through his teeth, wasn't he? But God was wanting just to see the response. So whenever the Lord said, who touched me? Somebody touched me. And he looked around. Now, you could imagine all the crowd would just stop right there and then, wouldn't they? Because he didn't just whisper it, he probably shouted it. Who touched me? And the disciples said, Master, come on. Don't be ridiculous. Everybody's touching you. Ah, but somebody touched me. Somebody really touched me. Now, he was wanting to get her to publicly declare her healing. 
And if you read Matthew 5 and Luke 8, those two portions of Scripture read at the beginning, if you take a few moments and read that, you'll see that that's exactly what she did. Now, she came fearing and trembling. And we know the reason why. Because she was ceremonially unclean. To touch a rabbi when you're ceremonially unclean was a big no-no. You dare not do it. You're in big trouble. So you can imagine that moment, and the whole crowd has stopped there. Everybody's looking. All eyes are on her now. No wonder she came fearing and trembling. But Jesus is so tender, isn't he? He's so tender. Do you remember whenever he stopped when Zacharias, Zacchaeus, Begifard was up the tree? That money lender, that tax collector, that Shylock, that hated, despised little man, that traitor, turncoat, up the tree. Remember how when Jesus stopped, he looked up? Now, don't you think everybody looked up the tree? He talked about being caught on, as we say. <laughs> I mean, he was just up the tree to see Jesus passing by. And was, he was small as stature. He thought, well, I'm safe up there because the crowd doesn't like me anyway, so I'll just climb up the tree. He'll walk past, and that'll be it. I'll get a look at him. And Jesus just stopped and said, Zacchaeus? And I could imagine a pregnant pause right there. Zacchaeus? And everybody, you could hear a pin drop. What's he going to say? You dirty dog, what are you doing up there? You're a turncoat to our people. But he didn't, did he? Zacchaeus, today I must abide at your house. I'm sure Zacchaeus' heart was beating out of his chest when he said, Zacchaeus. And so she gives her testimony, doesn't she? And she said exactly what happened. Look at the depth of her faith. Jesus said, somebody touch me, for I perceive power going out from me. The word power there is the same word power, dunamis, the Holy Spirit power, that mighty, active, dynamic, dynamite, dynamo power, because that where we get all those words from, dunamis, he said, I perceived, in other scriptures, I felt that going from me. That little woman really, really touched him, didn't she? She really, really touched him. You know, there's lots and lots of people that day, and they touched Jesus with their flesh, because they're all bumping but she was the only one who touched him with her faith. And what a difference. She touched him with her faith. And she didn't, didn't touch his flesh. She touched the tassel of his garment. And immediately, she was looking to him, the miracle worker, and she was looking to the word of God. And immediately, immediately, it says, immediately, she felt within her body Something dramatic must have happened at that moment. Now, wish all healings were as dramatic as that. But hers was. And instantly, in a nanosecond, she knew something has happened to me. 
I'm healed, I'm whole. Hmm. And Jesus turned around, I, I like what he said. He, he turned around, he says, Woman, daughter, affectionate term. He says, Be whole of your affliction, your plague. The King James says, be whole. Uh, and the word in the original is continuous. Be continually made whole. This was never going to come back again. Th this wouldn't just last for a day or, or when the excitement wore off. This was genuine. This would last to her dying day. She would be continually made whole from her plague. So Jesus just gave her a bonus there, didn't he? He just added to that, didn't he? And he was reassuring her. He could have easily said, Woman, that's never going to come back. You'll never, ever have to deal with that ever again. It's gone forever. He could have said that because that's what that meant. Be continually, be whole of your plague. The word plague is interesting. It's mastic. And mastic is where we get the word whip and lash from. And it was the Roman whip and lash. And here's my final point when I was reading this. The thing that whipped her for 12 long years was whipped in an instant when she touched him. Amen. It's gone forever. What a mighty Savior. What a fantastic God. What a great healer we've got here. So I want to encourage all of us today, and some of you especially, because we know, we all know that some of you are really, really under the cosh physically. Think of dear Margaret there. Maybe you could go around a half a dozen people. And I felt this morning that just to encourage us, we're not there yet, but just to raise our faith a little bit and encourage us a little bit and get, put some hope and faith into our hearts. And really believe that God can do this. He's got the power to do it. And we reach out in faith and touch him and the word of God and believe and trust that we're going to get a mighty breakthrough. And that this thing will be broken in our lives and will not come back and not hound us for the rest of our lives. Amen. Let's pray.